Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back with another episode of the Pop Culture Cosmos. It's Gerald Glassford coming right back at you here from Pop Culture Cosmos. Game source, inside sports, fantasy football, and the Lakers fast break. We truly appreciate everyone out there listening to all of our great shows. And if you can, please give them all a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Plus, if you can like, share, subscribe on YouTube, subscribe today to get the latest notifications where we go live on the air with the latest Pop Culture Cosmos, PC Multiverse, the State of Pro Wrestling, which is also coming up next week as well. Actually, probably I think I'll do one later this week. How about that? We'll go ahead and I'll reach out to John Orlando for the PVD cast because with the arrival of CM Punk in the WWE, that's some big news. So we'll go ahead and talk about that on the State of Pro Wrestling here later this week. Plus also as well, go ahead and check out what we're doing on Facebook. If you like and follow us there, you get the latest notifications on the latest news and trends in pop culture, plus us as well the Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook. And don't forget our website. It's all nice and neat there, popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. Have some great articles from the past. And also, every week we update it with the latest shows where you can get it all in one nice, tidy little article, whether it's written, whether it's the YouTube, or whether it is a sample of the entire hour of the Pop Culture Cosmos show. And also inside sports fantasy football you will find it right there at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com and don't forget happy shopping out there this weekend on black friday like i hope you did and thanksgiving i hope was safe for you and i'm hoping that you will catch all the trends of pop culture at the pop culture cosmos but it wouldn't be a pop culture cosmos without my good friend and speaking of black Friday shopping, speaking of Cyber Monday shopping, speaking of Thanksgiving shopping, you need to do your shopping. You need to finish off your Thanksgiving weekend shopping, your Cyber Monday, if you're hearing this shopping, at happyhordercollectibles.com. Because yes, there is still more savings that you can do today on some great pop culture items. Just make sure you go ahead and get it all at Happy Hoarder Collectibles. And when you check out, type in the discount code HAPPYHOLIDAYS23 for a 10% discount off your order today. It is a good man indeed. It is Josh the Great, Josh Peterson. Josh, great to have you here, my friend, my fellow National University alumni. I know we kind of just like always forget about them. But you know what? National University is always near and dear to our heart. Most Absolutely. Of the time. Yeah, most of the time. Absolutely. You know, I, I do I do have some fond memories of uh the old Nat U, but uh yeah, I actually not, not really I, I don't really look back on it much anymore. I only but, look uh, back sorry. on it. I only look back on it when I wear this shirt, which says the uh, the class of 2017 on the back and has a listing of all the people therein. And then, of course, I still see it on my school tuition bill. Yeah, that's. Uh, yeah, this is this is true. Effort. Yeah, ever since the uh, student loans kicked back in, I do remember how hard it was to get articles published in the school newspaper, because. Yes. Uh, yeah, because they're always like, "Did you fact check this?" Well, yes, I did. But also, how do you fact check? something like this you know 
Exactly. I but most of our articles, I... most of our articles were okay. When we did stuff outside and we, we did some articles, but a lot of our articles were more stories and opinions. Right. So. Right. Yeah. So that, that, that's what I meant. Like, how do you, how do you fact check an opinion on a movie? Like, how do you back up what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, exactly. Cause I know you did a lot of pop culture articles around that time. That's how you and I got to know each other and you hopped on the game source mm -hmm. podcast on that yeah. time. And then eventually into the pop culture cosmos was your affinity for, I think, Spider-Man as primarily you did some nice Spider-Man articles during that time. If I remember correctly. Yeah, I did. I did. And the, the rest, as they say, is legend. It is legend indeed at the pop culture cosmos, but please go ahead and check out happy where you can get some Marvel related items, but also as well, if you are into anime, whether it's Dragon Ball, Mobile Suit Gundam, Transformers, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, and more, go ahead and check it out today. A lot of Funko Pops, a lot of other action figures, just a whole bunch of great stuff that you can find right there for you at HappyHorderCollectibles.com. But we're going to have a great show today. We have got a lot to discuss when it comes to the future of movie making, because I think the future of movie making is being dictated a lot by what is being written and ultimately paid for by the audience out there this year at the box office. Uh, COVID is no longer a thing as far as the box office is concerned. I guess maybe I should change that statement a little bit because maybe some people still fear going to the to the theater as far as you know that that type of concern since covid maybe some people have have feared coming back i think more the habits that were created and i remember a, a around the time of of covid when we were all cordoned inside you had made some statements about the changing dynamic of the streaming and hollywood industry that was going to shape the way we view things going forward. And I thought it was very poignant then, and it's still gotten more poignant since then. I've always remembered that conversation. And I want you to think about that, Josh, because when you look at what happened this past weekend at the box office, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes from the Hunger Games prequel, that won the box office, but it's only going to do about $45, $50 million throughout the entire weekend. It is going to generate about another, what, uh, about get close to $100 million domestically world, world uh, excuse me, domestically, $100 million domestically, about $150 million worldwide is going to be sitting at. The thing is, it's a not a, it's not a really truly expensive film it's only cost right around 100 million dollars to make so there's a real possibility it could break even or see a slight profit before it leaves but it's after that my friend which really the numbers start to see you start to see some issues with napoleon napoleon which was the one of another one like uh, killers of the flower moon another apple huge 200 million dollar plus investment where it's going to make about $40 million this weekend or thereabouts at the domestically and probably reach maybe in the 70s worldwide. And then maybe by the time it's done, it's probably going to maybe hit about 150, maybe $200 million worldwide. 
as far as that's concerned. That's not close to breaking even for that movie. Wish, another $200 million movie. That is absolutely getting killed at the box office. It's going to finish third here domestically and third worldwide this weekend at the box office. Trolls Band Together, that is obviously that was also not another cheap movie to make. And then I've got then you've got the Marvels in six. That's been a huge bomb for Disney. The thing I'm getting at, my friend, is that these movies are all come with the price tag that's really super high. All were dependent on the way the the, the traditional way that the movie makes money via the box office. Now, a lot of these movies are going to have to lean on what they do in the streaming market because the Blu-ray and DVD market is not dead, but it's not exactly full of life either. I think we need to reevaluate and have a long conversation on and reevaluate the way we look at making and watching films and seeing what is a success and not a success in movie making today. Yeah, that's a, you know, this is a, weird this is a, a tricky topic to tackle because i think there's a lot of factors Go back to national university and write thesis papers on this again i know i know this would have been a, a gold no mine. i don't actually want to do that because that just means more tuition money that's okay. yeah yeah more uh more student loans to pay off uh no or we'll but, have we'll have uh dr amster get after us again yeah yep yep uh okay. so the hunger games movie is weird because i don't it, it you know like i said last week it feels like it was forced out like they were just trying to milk a franchise for a little bit of you know a little bit of money so that's that, that the one that could break even when all is said and done because right, it, was, right. it was put it, it was made for a lower ticket price than the other movies behind it it was but you know like i said it also feels like it was made for the sole purpose of you know getting getting a quick buck off of it yeah exactly yeah. um you know, you look at something like Napoleon. Napoleon's weird because they announced that the director's cut is going to be coming out on on Apple Apple Plus or Apple TV, whatever that their streaming service is called. So why why am I going to spend you know ten fifteen bucks to go to the movies to watch something when I could watch what's clearly the better version coming out in a streaming platform in like what three weeks? Uh, seemingly, the Killers of the Flower Moon, same thing. The the Apple is invested four hundred plus million dollars on those two films, and combined, those two films will not come even close to getting to that four hundred million dollar number. So, yeah. how do you view success for those films? Let's say those films combined get seven or eight Oscar nominations or more, and they win three or four Oscars. Do you view that still as a success? The accountants would tell you no. Are you getting a whole bunch of people that are coming in to subscribe to Apple TV Plus? It better be a lot for the four hundred million dollars you invested in those two films, right, Josh? Yeah, you don't you you won't see a return. I mean, you yeah you won't see the return on it that you you know that you spent. So yeah, that that is definitely an interesting question. Artistically, you know, if it wins a bunch of Oscars, Academy Awards, or whatever, it. I, yeah, it is a success artistically, but financially, it's not really a success, right? Because you're not seeing you're you're getting acclaim for the the work that was done, but you're not getting a financial return on it. So it's that's definitely it it is an issue because even if you had a bunch of people, 
subscribe to Apple Plus, you're not going to that, you know, that those subscription fees are probably not going to reach the the cost of the movie. And on top of that, you know, anyone with an iPhone or anyone that is, uh, you know, currently subscribing to Verizon or what's the other one, uh, AT and T, right? Like you get or free mobile or any of those mobile. Yeah, you get free. You get free months of uh, Apple TV. So what kind of how, how do you measure? How do you measure the money that you're seeing from it? You can't. You can't. It's really it's it's chaos. It is all over the place. There there is no true way of measuring the the return on something like that. I, and I think the same stands for all these streaming platforms. So, okay, if that's the case and you're sitting down in these boardrooms next year, let's say early next year, and you've evaluated the year 2023, the box office in total, how do you gauge a film then? You're going to have to set up budgets for movies going forward for these films. It's not They're not getting any cheaper to make, my friend. So... What would you be doing as far as if you're in the the account, you're the guy that's the numbers guy, you're telling the people in charge, this is what you should look forward to as far as budgeting films going forward in the future. You cannot consistently tell me that budgeting these films for $200, million, $350 million, $300 million, we haven't even touched on the Disney films yet. That's another conversation entirely. But you cannot consistently tell me Apple, you say, oh, yeah, Apple's got a ton of money. They can you know, just sell some more iPhones and Apple Watches and iPods. And, you know, as far as that, all that's concerned, yeah, blah, blah, blah. They've got a ton of money. Well, these companies don't want to continually throw away money time in, time out. So I don't know how many more times you're going to get these spectacular event movies like Napoleon and Killers of the Flower Moon. And people to go ahead and invest in these directors who keep preaching this style of Hollywood that they were loved so so much if they cannot back it up with actual money making at the box office. I mean, Christopher Nolan is the only one out of the major directors out there, unless I'm wrong. I mean, Spielberg, I, you know, I, I, Spielberg yeah, has Guillermo not del Toro has been pretty vocal about it, too. Yeah, but he's not he is not a, he's not had winners financially at the box office he's a case in point he's a he him his greatest success in the past few years was a netflix movie well it's shape of water shape of water won a bunch of awards but yeah i mean i don't know if that was a high that was not a that did not kill it at the box office yeah what was his greatest movie in the past few years is a netflix movie pinocchio yeah yeah i mean i guess you yeah that's a that's a fair point yeah, so, so I'm asking you, my friend, when you've got Guillermo del Toro, who's been very vocal, when you've got Martin Scorsese, who's been absolutely vocal, and you've got also as well Ridley Scott, who's been also vocal about this, and they're vocal about the old way of doing things and the stylistically how Hollywood has to be this way and fans need to watch movies in the certain way. They're not watching them in the certain way that they're asking for, yet they still want $200 million from whoever they they can get it from, whether it's Netflix or Apple, in order to go ahead and make their movies. Something has got to give, my friend. It's either the old way of doing things that we all follow and adhere to, or something else has to logistically change. Yeah. You know, I look at it. It's Christopher Nolan is the only one who could preach all this and has the box office cachet to back it up. 
But even yeah, he, he has Tenet. Now, Tenet was troubled because it came out at the absolutely wrong time because he forced it out there. So that's a, maybe a different argument altogether. Well, but yeah, he was trying to pioneer with, that return to the movie theaters. Yeah, with Oppenheimer, he is struck it rich. So basically, he still has the cachet going forward. But Martin Scorsese has The Irishman, which was a $200 million Netflix movie. And now this movie, A Killers of the Flower Moon, at $200 million. Then you also have... Ridley Scott, who we both absolutely love his style of filmmaking, he put this out $200 million to Napoleon. I'm just asking my friend, you know, these guys are so set in their ways. I'm not going to be able to change them. You and I can't convince them. Hollywood can, it's the only ones can convince them because they will stop funding their movies as long as they continue to go ahead and have underperforming movies like this done so bad or performing so bad financially. Yeah, but we also don't know what's going on behind the scenes if the studio's kind of dictating what they can and can't do. But you're looking at like look at, we we are beyond the the point of blaming COVID for things, right? Like the the Taylor Swift tour has There's still beyond... people who there's still people who may not actually go go to theaters. Like Melinda, Melinda's a case of point. She is not returned to the theaters as of yet or found a project good enough to return to the theaters as of yet there's probably others out there but it's not the overwhelming majority if the overwhelming majority of people out there have either returned for a film or could return you know under the right circumstance or right movie project right but it's not the like the the mega factor that it was before it's not you know it it, yeah has a little bit of effect but it's not dictating a majority of people right Agreed. now Agreed. so you can't i mean yeah and like i said like look at people going to see taylor swift and all all these all these um you know all these events yep that people are going to they've returned in masses to like live in-person events so you you're looking at that but also you know i i know i've commented on this before like with studios going to these streaming platforms you they've shot themselves in the foot they are now eating themselves you know you look at it like the streaming platforms right like why people say a lot of people i've talked to they're like why should i pay money to go see something when i'm already paying 15 12 15 a month to stream it i'll just wait a few months for it to come out on a streaming platform like look at trolls band together will be on what peacock here soon and same thing with napoleon's going to be on apple apple tv wish will be on disney plus within a matter of weeks so why what is the motivation for people to pay money to go to the theaters and then with the physical media right that, that's another one they they i guarantee you that the studios made more on physical media than they did on the streaming subscriptions so at this point, I, I love the streaming platforms, but I mean, what good are they doing for the studios? For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA, check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. What they're good they're doing for the studios is it's not as good as it seems. I mean, yes, they're providing an alternate source of income. They you got know, as far as based off the, based off the, the spot, the, the subscription, you know, subscriptions that you're actually paying for or whatnot, but it's still nowhere near to the extent that would justify the 200 to $250 movies. Like let's get into the Marvels. Let's get into the Disney movies. Wish 200, $250 million movie. The Marvels, 
250, possibly even a 275, $300 million. And these are production costs. We're not even throwing in advertising costs or any other inherent costs they're in. Those two movies with Wish and the Marvels are going to be a disaster financially at the box office for Disney. It's absolutely in a year of continual disasters for Disney. This has just been right on board. These are these could be the two biggest disasters for them this year, which is terrible for, for Disney. But like you said, in a few weeks, they'll be on Disney Plus and people won't care. The thing yeah. is... Uh, you know, when we, the only movie to to uh, re, actually that Disney is able to go ahead and have a good story out of is Elemental. Elemental, that that really was terrible. The worst Pixar opening I think ever at that time. Yet it, was it great though, I loved it. It climbed it, her good word of mouth until it actually earned close to five hundred million dollars, and I believe might have turned a profit at the box office. Then it goes over to Disney Plus and becomes a huge hit on Disney Plus. You know, those are the those are the few stories that they have where they spend two hundred million dollars, and it looks like it's going to pay off. Looks like it's going to give them, a, you know, a break even, or or in the case of bringing people in to go ahead and check out Disney Plus, it looks like it's going to be worth its weight in gold. There, the thing is when it. It's a big gamble, though. It's a yes. big gamble to it's take. It's a huge gamble. That's what I'm trying to say, my friend. You know, what? what is Disney Plus's biggest success right now? Bluey. Bluey is their biggest success right now. That does not, you cannot tell me that costs $200 million to make episodes of Bluey that people, that these kids are watching. You know, you and the, you cannot tell me that a Bluey movie is going to make, you know, that going to take... $200 million, like a Disney animation movie, yeah. like Wish. And, and you know, that, I still think if you put a Bluey mo movie out there, it would take, what, 50, 75 million, put it out there, it's going to get you uh, probably double re your returns there. I still think that type of movie, because it's done so well and performed so well on Disney+. Plus, The Star Wars movie where the Mandoverse all comes together, I think because the fact that the Mandoverse, Mandalorian, Ahsoka, those have been somewhat generally received well ratings-wise on Disney+. Plus. There's a decent chance that the final movie that comes out, you know, where they finally battle Thrawn and all that, because that's you and I both know that's what it's leading up to. When that finally comes out, that's a decent chance to make a hit. I'm not guaranteeing anything, but that's a decent chance to take make it be a hit. The thing is with Disney... They have to look and reevaluate, especially with Marvel and their Disney animation stuff, how they make and create and and market these things. Because the Marvels is something, obviously, it's going to be a learning lesson for them. The television shows that they produced out there this year, you know, and how poorly they've been received, has got to be something that they are now reevaluating. In fact, they're redoing the Daredevil episodes as we speak. When it comes to Wish, my friend, Wish is something I don't know. Is that same or samey Disney animation style? I'm not talking Pixar. I'm talking the Disney animation style. Does that work anymore, do you think, to audiences? It just Because you take a look at Wish, and the animation style is so familiar to so many other Disney animation, animated movies of the past. I think with Encanto, Encanto succeeded because it was such a great musical adventure 
and you can relate so much. Kids can and young adults could could relate as far as the music adventure. But when it comes to Wish, it's more related on that familiar traditional Disney animation style. Does that still work with younger audiences today? I yeah, I think it does. I don't. I don't. You know, I'm not sure it has anything to do with the animation side. I think it's more a the idea that they're telling the same stories over and over again, but well, with the same same them. character styles, and then also you've got the two cute characters or three cute mm -hmm. characters that you, they want to go ahead and market, and you know, I get it. They're supposed to be funny, quirky. You want to go ahead and buy them at the at the local store. I get that. It just seems to be very samey from them. Their way that they create these movies, not just the animation style, but the just the way that they approach these these Disney animated movies just seem to be very tried and true. And I'm not sure that formula works all the time anymore, as we're seeing with Wish. Right. Yeah. And I think that people are are tired. They're tired of these movies being put out by Disney. Like they're tired of of spending their time like disney i think is falling out of favor with people and I, I i honestly never thought that i'd see the day but it's you know you have these movies that are constantly failing people are like oh i'm just gonna wait like the last one i saw wasn't that good so i'm just gonna wait till it comes out on on disney plus same thing with these um with like star wars like i guarantee if you were to put a star wars out in the theaters now like it wouldn't do nearly as good as star wars has done in the past because people are are tired of getting a poor quality product i agree and but it's just it seems to me that that i think that the same traditional style of movie making whether it it's the same style of animation or the same animated movie like wish that you may have seen before you might relate to before in previous disney animated movies or the same you know epics that you're seeing when napoleon killers the flower moon you know, let's throw these big extravaganzas, 200, $250 million movies that are two and a half hour, three and a half hours long. They're not working as well as they did in the past. They're no longer guarantees. And the thing is, maybe it's just giving Hollywood the sign that things have to change. I know Marvel behind the scenes, you and I both have, have heard the news that Kevin Feige is restructuring the way that Marvel approaches uh, both the television and also the cinematic side, I think that the whole Hollywood industry coming out of the SAG after strike needs to take another look at this as well. Yeah, I, well, I also I think that Hollywood is has or the studios have become more focused on spectacle and merchandising than they have on actual storytelling. There's a big difference between movies that have been released today and movies that came out of the, the 90s and uh, even before that is the fact that there was a heavy focus on storytelling. You know, half the budget wasn't blown on making a few explosions. It was spent actually going into how do I tell the best story that I possibly can. And that's something you don't see with movies and theaters anymore. I don't know. Just again, it's something I think that fundamentally has to change. Uh, I think it's just something that they need to look at. Or basically, you, the fan out there, you, the audience, are dictating it based off of your wallets and what you're deciding is worth seeing and going to the movie theater for and not. I mean, you talk about, Josh, about before. You also, I remember another conversation that you were very pointed on exactly how much 
you have to spend when you take the family to a theater. You are right. down to the dollar as far as the, you know, how much you have to spend each and every time you go out to theater. So it's a financial commitment. And the thing is, in order to do that, you have to be very selective about what you're going to see. Yeah, exactly. And again, like, why, why am I going to spend, you know, what, 60, $70 if I can just wait and we can watch it at home and I can order a pizza and watch it from the couch? You know, like the, 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 this is why, what, I, this is what I mean when I say the streaming, like these studios have really like shot themselves in the foot with these streaming services because they're the reason that people aren't going to the theaters anymore. It's, it literally is their fault because they've created a separate avenue of viewing these films that is a lot cheaper for people. So, what motivation is there to go? to the movies like it used to be like oh hey i'll go see the next superhero film but look at look at what's happening nobody's going to see those movies anymore because they hit disney plus six weeks after their release so i ask you my friend do things need to change when it comes to hollywood and the way we look at movies or the way we make movies and animated features going forward I don't know if they need to change, but I think that we all know the solution, though nobody wants wants that solution. The solution is to cut out the streaming platforms. They saw the studio saw what Netflix was doing and they wanted a piece of that pie like they got greedy. And now they've created a problem for themselves that they are struggling to figure out a solution for. What are your thoughts out there on the future of movie making? Do you see this continuing as is, or do you see fundamental changes taking place due to the high cost of filmmaking? Quite often, bad returns for a lot of these movies financially to box office, and also what the streaming services out there represent. Please let us know your thoughts. We'd love to hear it because this is something that I think is, should be talked about as an important topic going forward on all these entertainment shows pop culture cosmos at yahoo.com what is planet cool stuff it's your ultimate destination for insightful exploration from the realm of pop culture delve into the world of movies video games toys cartoons and visit with one-of-a-kind creators discover incredible places and see historical artifacts whether it's a toy room tour or exploring the best of pop culture cinema planet cool stuff has got you covered planet cool stuff exclusively on Jinx Esports TV Canada. Well, my friend, one half hour down, one half hour to go here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we talked for a half hour on the fundamental changes that might need to be made in the movie industry. So let's, before we head on out, my friend, talk about the fundamental changes come into an industry that we love also just as much, sometimes even more so than the movie industry, and that is the video game industry, where the video game industry was quite different than when you and I started covering it, or when you and I actually started really getting into games. Uh, you know, as far as for me, over the course of decades, you also as well, the 90s, 2000s, as the whole industry continued to change and evolve, and I know when I started covering the E3s of the world, when we went to E3s and we saw the different, you know, indie makers, we saw midline uh, as far as double A publishers, right and left, putting out their games, some hit, some not, but also the triple A games dominating the space as well. 
Flash forward over a decade later, a little over a decade later, and things are a lot different now. It is similar to what we see in the movie industry, where the smaller games, like the horror movies. Now, just imagine if we went on a previous conversation and thought, what if Disney just went the way of making 10 to $20 million horror movies with all their IPs? They'd probably make a ton of cash then and that way. But, you know, I understand that they won't do that. But let's just say they did. That would be really funny to go ahead and think, you know, Slasher Mickey or something like that as far as <laughs> ways to make money out there. But you know, the mind wanders if that would be the case. But they would be more profitable. I'll just leave it at that. So, But let me ask you this, my friend. When it comes to the industry, when you and I started going to E3s back in 2016, 2017, 2018 and all that, even then it has changed. Gone in many ways is the middle mid-tier developers and publishers most of those have gone the way of the dodo or been bought out by other venture capitalist companies or other companies or even in the case of sony and microsoft purchased by them i want to hear your thoughts on this as far as the video game industry and where we stand in your opinion right now i mean that the video game industry is another thing where they're all kind of eating each other there's the some of the actually i i stand corrected if the if this had not have happened if we didn't create this scenario where these studios are buying other studios the microsoft and sony's nintendo's actually like they've kind of haven't haven't needed to absorb anybody in order to stay on top so that's that's cool for them but we have these companies buying up all these other all these other smaller studios and it's kind of created a rise in indie indie developers coming up and putting out these amazing projects so without all that happening we wouldn't i i guarantee we wouldn't see some of the the really really cool games that are are coming out these days but um yeah it's it's we're you know we've i know we've talked about this before with like microsoft at what point are they going to own so many studios that they're not going to be able to manage all of them? Same thing with Sony. And, you know, it all, it, it almost feels it, or it did feel for a while, like, like, um, you know, Sony had all this, these amazing relationships with these, these Japanese developers, but then, you know, we found out that square was actually willing to partner with Microsoft on some things. But anyways, um, yeah, I mean, how many more acquisitions do you think we're going to see? And is this going to affect the quality of of product that we're going to get? Because the studio, the uh, these um, sorry, the Microsoft and Sony are spreading themselves too thin. It's like taking like not having enough butter to cover an entire piece of toast. Very great analogy there. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. And this year. I think we talked about it before on this show. I think this year for a lot of people is going to be thought of as one of the best years in video games. And I'm not going to disparage them at all on that because I think critically it is one of the best years for video games as far as the number of high quality video games or video game remasters, remakes has been outstanding. We have been spoiled by the number of video games been released today that have a average of 80 or above on Metacritic. Absolutely spoiled. It has absolutely been great to see a lot of really great projects all year long have come our way. I know a lot of that is based off of what we saw with COVID, 
a lot of games that were pushed back. A lot of these games probably were tended to release in 2020, 2021, 2022, yeah. and they were all pushed back to where you needed extra development time to this year. We're going to see the same thing as far as next year as well. A lot of the games that were supposed to be earmarked for this year or maybe even 2022 are going to be set out for next year. But that being the case, my friend, we're seeing with the higher dollar amount now, as far as the MRC, MSRP here in the States and probably worldwide, it's going to equate to about $70 US for a lot of these games, whether they're AAA or otherwise. Uh, you know, it just seems like you need to get more out of it. But when you talk to a lot of these developers and whatnot, they're talking about crunch. They're talking about what they're packing in, what their players are packing in. They won't give you much more unless you're paying extra for it beyond the $70. So this is what I'm starting to have an issue with. We're seeing more and more games, whether it's a games as a service. And that's something we can talk about here in this half hour too, as far as games as a service being a new trend thing, especially after what Sony had told its shareholders about its future with producing the majority of its games as a games as a service. But you're talking about games that you're paying for initially a $70 investment and having to pay eventually a lot more by the time you're done with it. Well, that's because they, you know, let's, let's be honest. Like they're, they're in it for the money. Like I think where the days where studios, developers, whatever were in it for, I mean, the the indie developers obviously a little bit different but the the days when these companies actually like cared about putting out a product that was pleasing to its customer base i think that those days are long gone because they have seen the magic of the the thing that you and i love so much called microtransactions and dlcs and add-ons and they they've seen the return on those and now they have much like the movie studios they've gotten incredibly greedy about it so i you know i was actually talking to someone the other day and they're like i don't really play a lot of new games anymore because nothing is ever finished when they put it out i'm like yeah that's that's a that's a really that's another point. thing yeah we're waiting yeah. for a day one patch we're waiting for this patch we're waiting for that patch wow this is so buggy what's going on that's another thing it's like you're He's exactly right. He or she is exactly right because they're they're hitting it right on the head as far as what look what Cyberpunk 2077 absolutely botched for mm -hmm. a heavily anticipated game that came out. Absolutely terrible the way that they put that out in that shape. Yet what two, three years later now, they bring out the DLC starring Idris Elba for it. And it's fantastic. And now the game with all the updates since then have made it a fantastic game so many years later. Yeah, yeah. And it, <laughs> but it took three right. years to get it to that shape. Yeah, and, I, and CD Projekt Red has actually been really transparent about the issues, you know, and they're talking about how they rushed to put the product out because the, the shareholders wanted to see a return by quarter one two three whatever whatever it was and they apologized for that but yeah you still see that happening over and over again and i i don't know about you but i personally like i hate buying a game and then waiting hours for it to install before i can play it like i i like actually i enjoy the ps5 because you put the games in they they you know they take like 30 to 45 minutes to install but with xbox like 
it I'll I'll be sitting there probably four or five hours sometimes before I'm able to play a game that I I just bought, you know, and it's remember back in the day when you could go to you buy on the 360 or the original Xbox, PlayStation 2, whatever, you come home, open the game up, put in the console, you start playing it. But now you have these day one patches that are absolutely massive. And I hate when I turn on a game and I see it, it an update is needed for this game. It will be done in five hours and 45 minutes. Let's see. That's the thing. You know, this gets into the physical media, digital media conversation, as you alluded to just a few days ago on Facebook. Uh, you will no, not go silently into the digital world. But oh, I will, yeah. But I, I want to say that sometimes it's better in this days and age, even with the day one patches. But you can actually physically buy a game on the digital. I'm sorry, physically that was an oxymoron. You can digitally buy a game in advance and have it preloaded so it's there for you. Like Starfield. Starfield, I give the great example of. So many people bought that digitally. So many people ready with the Xbox Games Pass have it ready digitally, they had already pre-downloaded so it was much easier once the green light hit that they were able to go ahead and get it and play. But you, if you want physical media, like you said, you have to go, you have to wait to get it either from Amazon or go to the store and buy it. And once you bring it back home, you've got a ton of uploads waiting for you as far as patches are concerned before you even get a chance to play it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's crazy frustrating. You know, and and a lot of these games too, like even after they come out, they're putting out patches and, and updates every week. So it's not just once one time that you sit there and wait for it to install. It's multiple, multiple times you sit down, you'll expect to be able to do the uh, function on the Xbox or PlayStation where you can instantly jump back into your game because they're like, oh, congratulations, there's been a patch or whatever. It'll be done installing in 45 minutes to, to two hours. Who knows? I mean, I guess depending on what your internet speed is, but it's still incredibly annoying. Absolutely. And this is something I don't see going away, but it really it comes down to what the same thing is when we talked about movies. These are not cheap products, my friend, especially if they're a AAA game. With the rising costs that are associated with these games, a triple A budget game, let's say like Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, which dropped, which has had its share of problems upon its start, yet still, according to Activision, they're still touting it's the number of concurrent players, players played initially hours, as far as hours are concerned, and blah, 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 blah. They don't tell you real sales numbers, but okay, whatever. You know, even that, that's a... a game that could have cost possibly even up to a half a billion dollars in development when all is said and done. And you're talking about something that's supposed to get you a billion dollars before it's said and done. If you know, if all works out, it'll be the leader in far as on the MPD for the month of November, but it just seems like it's just, there's so much invested in these games. Now, Alan Wake two, such a visually stunning and striking game. That's probably going to be one of the games of the year as far as it's already been nominated for game of the year by the by the game awards. But it'll probably be mentioned, you know, as a game of the year or top one of the top games of the year on several outlets coming up here in the next month or so. And that game cannot be cheap as well. That's the game it still may only cater to a niche audience 
and may not ever see the kind of return it needs to see. Right. But if I'm spending the money, that much money on something, I would want it to be perfect when it released. I wouldn't want to see, I wouldn't want to put it out just because I want a quick return on my investment. If I were making toys and I had a deadline, hey, you have to get these action figures out by next Tuesday. But wait, the arms aren't finished. I'm not going to put it out there without any arms. Like that doesn't make any sense. If you're in the Las Vegas and Henderson areas and are looking to buy, sell, or trade the best in classic or current video games and pop culture collectibles, there's no better place to go than Retro City Games. From Xbox to PlayStation, Nintendo to Atari, the great crew at Retro City Games provides the best place to go for all your gaming options. Stop by their two awesome locations in Henderson and also the Las Vegas Strip or follow Retro City Games on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest deals and new items. Without a doubt, there's no better place to go for your gaming needs than your friends at Retro City Games. You still see the issues with all these games, no matter how much money is put in ahead of time. There's very few of them that actually come out 100% clean as a whistle sharp to the T right upon its release. I mean, Baldur's Gate 3 had its own issues. It still doesn't have an Xbox, you know, release. It probably will have one very soon. Most likely it will be announced at the Game Awards as well. Probably be, you know, they're promised to be before the end of the year. So we'll see. It's going to probably come out very soon in the Xbox. But that had issues in development, trying to treat that with the Xbox X and Xbox Series S as well, the differentiating features on it. But I just, it seems like these games that are skyrocketing with their budgets and the expectations for them by, by consumers, they're also at the end point, consumers who have to pay now more for movies, as we talked about, now have to pay considerably more for the kind of game experiences that they once had and once they once described and now along as well. Because remember, you back in the day, we've talked about before, we've talked about all the games that we've played 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 100 hours, 100 plus hours with. So to get these same kind of experiences, we're paying substantially more. Yeah, but it actually, it, it may, I guess it, it makes more sense with video games because, yeah, you're, you're paying $70 and you're putting over 100 hours into it where when you go to the movie theaters, you're paying $15 and you're only getting like two hours out of it. But, uh, you know, we hit that weird point in the early 2000s where games went from being like 30 hours was considered long for a game, right? Even for like the, the square RPGs. And then in the 2000s, the, like the late 2000s, we hit that point, right? Where instead of going, they're going from 30 hours to 60 hours, then 60 hours to 100 hours. And I think the reason that some of these games are so expensive to develop now is the fact that the it is they're such massive games like look at the assassin's creed games right there you can spend you you can spend like 200 plus hours exploring the entire world that has been created in this does do you think anyone asked for that <laughs> i mean well, if it's seriously. not filler if it's actually and it, you know you take it and it's really something worth adventuring and seeing like Star quests. like starfield starfield has been depending on who you talk to, one of the most divisive games to come out in recent years. But the one thing I hear more consistently of is that these side quests are actually, in many cases, more interesting than the actual main quest itself. 
So a lot of people are absolutely just divesting themselves from the main quest and absolutely getting more invested in what they're doing on the side. Some of them are playing upwards of 100, 150, 200 hours plus, and they've never touched or they never go back to the main quest. That is something I think that is well worth the investment, my friend. It's when you talk about Assassin's Creed, was it not Mirage, but uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Valhalla, yeah, yeah, that you absolutely could not stand because your OCD took you to places where you've seen before, as far as many times before, on all these side quests that, for a lot of intent, all intents and purposes, were a lot of them were fetch quests that you really didn't want to do. So I just, I heard your voice on that as far as that's concerned. That to me sounded like a whole bunch of filler and basically just led to a game where, you know, that's what you don't want to see. But if it's done right, my friend, I, I, I just think that getting $70 of value in a game is truly essential to what, you know, playing video games is all about. Yeah, yeah, you should be able to pay $70 and get a high quality game. And that includes if it's going to be a massive game that it needs that the, there needs to be meaning in that mass. And I think that that's even if it's only a 10 to 15, 15 to 20 hours, let's say 15 to 20, you better get a lot of bang for your pop if that's the case. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I used to I used to be perfectly fine paying 60 plus dollars for a Halo game because it had a really, really good story. And there's a lot of multiplayer to go back to. But you know, we're seeing a lot of games today like Assassin's Creed and even, you know, there are elements of, um, you know, a lot of the. Um... Well, Mirage, the Assassin's Creed, they might have heard you. So they they made it a much shorter, less yeah. obtrusive. Right. I haven't, yeah, I haven't played game. that one yet. But even like a lot of the Bethesda games that come out, like they're still they're far too big. And a lot of the side quests are like, Oh, Hey, go deliver this fish to uh, a city all the way across the map. You know, there's not, there's no meaningful return in a lot of that, those side quests. So yeah, if you're going to charge someone that much money for something, make it, make it count, you know, make it, give it meaning, give it, make it impactful. That's why I think Alan Wake did so good be, or so well, because it, there was no, there was no filler there. It wasn't, it, there was no fluff. You know, it's just uh, is a very straightforward game. So I ask you, my friend, when you're looking at it legitimately, when you're talking about it and looking at it, the thing that still bothers me, though, is microtransactions upon all. And the fact is that, you know, the, the CEO of 2K absolutely was not hiding at all his, his uh, ad admiration for the concept of microtransactions he fills it in all of you know that most of their games have just filled with it let's take the nba 2ks the 2k games in general just absolutely filled with them microtransactions can be a good thing if you want them as far as designs so fortnite is a free-to-play game absolutely flood it with microtransactions i have no problems with that but when you're paying 70 dollars for a game and you're asked to pay $30, $40 in, in microtransactions beyond that, or like the recent controversy with Omni-Man in Mortal Kombat 1, paying 20 bucks, I think, was the, the, the ticket price for an Omni-Man as far as DLC on that, just for the Omni-Man, I think, guy. I, I'm not sure if it included a background or anything like that. That, to me, is just an abhorrent use of the way you use microtransactions. Oh, absolutely. EA does the same thing in their sports games. Like you want these 
different colored jerseys or you want to you want to unlock this court you have to pay so much money and uh ubisoft has been notorious for for putting games out where they're like hey if you want to i know you love this game but do you want to beat it faster here you can download this you can pay for this thing or even having side quests where like you have to have a certain amount of like currency or whatever to unlock it and there's no way you can get that currency without paying for it that's the stuff that irritates me so i will close the conversation with something that is truly near and dear to your heart and i kind of mentioned it earlier we talked about movies we talked about video games the thing that both can end up being on is physical media and as someone who is the happy hoarder you are very adamant about the future of where physical media is going. You've heard the recent uh, news reports about Best Buy is going to be phasing out physical media. I've told you when I was there for Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, I was actually there for something else at Walmart, and I saw no physical media. I just saw cards saying, take this up to the counter, and there you go. It just seems to me that physical media is being phased out for the most part. And I understand it's a cost issue, but if it's a cost issue that's talking about, why aren't games cheaper because of it? Yeah, well, if they're charging so much for these games, yeah, the creating the physical media is expensive, but wouldn't it make more sense to get a return on that investment wouldn't it make more sense to get a i don't know what i'm trying to say it would make more sense to put i mean why is a physical copy of mass effect let's just say the same as far as the remastered version of all three why is that the same price as the digital version that theoretically it should that's the big question right like you shouldn't there they've they found out that people will pay seventy dollars for nothing but a download code and so they've seen the money involved in that and they're like oh this is a good idea but with physical media it justifies the cost of putting it out with how many people actually bought the game so if people stop buying digital things then maybe they would see the error of their waves but yeah they're they Back when the original Xbox Marketplace opened up, you could buy a digital game for like half the price of what a physical game came out as. But now they're trying to corner people into a digital market. And I think that that's kind of robbery in itself. Yet make you pay the same for what you would with physical media. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And But people are paying for it. So that's their money is speaking for them and because as it is that, in the as it is in the box office about people mm-hmm. just waiting for movies to go to streaming yep and that's the reason we're headed towards this very dark future it is going to be a dark future for people such as yourself that love going ahead and you know having the physical copies of things whether it's movies or video games and I, I can understand that you're very disturbed by it and i don't say i blame you one bit but where are we at in the state of video games are we in a good place when it comes to video games making video game industry do you think we're in a good place or do you think like we talked about in the movie industry that it needs a lot of help to get into the right position i don't think it needs a lot of help i think logistics have, have dictated a lot of it I think that now that we've had a really good year in video games, I think it can only get better from here. But 
there are some things that we have to come to accept, like you're talking about with digital and physical media costs. Yeah, absolutely. I also feel like these, you know, Sony and Microsoft buying up all these studios, it's eventually going to cause some issues and they're going to start shuttering studios. But I feel like in the aftermath of all this chaos, we're going to see a lot of a lot of really great new studios rise to fame and create some amazing games. And I, for one, cannot wait for that to happen. Not to see the, you know, Sony, Microsoft fall, but to see what kind of new voices come into this landscape. So what are your thoughts out there on both the movie and video game industry? We would absolutely love for you to go ahead and share your thoughts. Please do so whenever you can. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Well, my friend, it's been a great episode, a great conversation. I love the fact that we were able to go ahead and take one real subject and then just branch off into an hour conversation. But before we head on out, my friend, can you give everyone the lowdown? What's going on with your own sale that you can get today at happyhordercollectibles.com? Any order you put in on happyhordercollectibles.com, you use the code happyholidays23 at checkout, and that'll get you a nice 10% off on your purchase. Get on there, check it out, buy some pops, buy some, uh, you know, we got some cool Final Fantasy play art kai action figures and gundam models definitely check that out what was moving well for you this past weekend do pops still funko move well? pops yeah i mean everybody wants funko pops and those are like very constant sellers for us that and, and pokemon cards do really well action figures are are hit or miss you know even on the best of days but funko pops are definitely a hot seller but my friend, it's been great having you here as always. We've been doing this for so long, and I want to continue doing it for a long time more, my friend. It's always great to hear your thoughts on anything out there in the world of pop culture. But any last thoughts before we head on out, my friend? Anyone out there been watching any Christmas movies lately? I started the Christmas movie, not marathon, but I started watching them a couple weeks ago. We, we saw Christmas Vacation. We just watched Christmas with the Cranks. And then this weekend, we watched uh, A Christmas Story Christmas on Max, which actually was not amazing by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, there you go. Could be some of the worst of pop culture there for you. We'll find out. We'll find out. Yeah, indeed. yeah absolutely. Santa Claus, uh, which one, the new series or the original movie? I'm assuming you're talking about the original movie. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah the original is a classic. Love yeah. it. Yeah, so I don't know if Dizzy can strike twice while the iron's hot with the latest Tim Allen Santa Clauses as far as series is concerned. But we'll see. We'll see. Tim Allen's comedy is love it or leave it. It depends. He makes the same noises and stuff like that. You know, for you watch, he's better in stand up. I like his stand up better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I like uh, I like the Santa Claus a lot, but I I get I get what you mean. He's like the. Uh... Him and Adam Sandler are kind of the same character in every movie. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the pop culture cosmos. Thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day.